Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Sermon, judged, not judge. We are those who are judged by God and not those who are to judge. We are not called to judge others. That right is given to God alone, whom he has entrusted his son to judge those that are created in his image, to see we live lives that are pleasing to him. We are not those who are called to judge and condemn others, to slander them, to speak against them, but rather to demonstrate love to them. So as Christians, we are to submit to God, as we learned last week. We are to submit to God and resist the devil, because the devil is opposed to God and seeks to corrupt and divide and pollute, manipulate the church, the people of God, the family of God. He seeks to make you think that you are above the law and and over God so that you diminish who God is, so that you don't look to him because you no longer need him because you can do everything on your own strength. He seeks to entice you to greater and greater pridefulness and worldliness so that you increase and God decreases, whereas we are called to humility, and that means that God increases and we decrease. James has just given a series of commands to instruct Christians to live a life of repentance so that we would know and experience the grace of God by relying upon his grace and trusting in his grace. And what does that mean? That means obedience to his word as we humble ourselves in his presence. He gives a call to repentance from worldliness to humility. He says in verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. In the very next verse, we see in verse 11 that Christians can and do exalt themselves over and above others. And as we'll see in these verses, it even goes beyond that. Here we have Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, people in the same family, eternal family of God, slandering one another, condemning one another. James has addressed the source of quarrels and conflicts among them, being the sinful pleasures that wage war in the heart. And now he will address another manifestation of that. He is speaking of Christians, speaking to Christians and commanding them to not speak against one another, to not slander one another, those created in the image of God. James has already talked a lot about our speech and how we ought to use our speech to edify, not to tear down, to build up. He's mentioned it in every chapter so far. In chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, to blame God for our own sinfulness. Everyone must be quick to hear, James says, slow to speak. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet not and yet does not bridle his tongue, deceives his own heart. His religion is worthless. In chapter 2, we see the sin of partiality leading to how people were treating one another and speaking to one another. To the rich man, you sit here in a good place. And to the poor man, you sit over here by my footstool, or you go stand over there. Chapter 3. The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. 
See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And here again in chapter 4, James will address our speech how we talk, what we say, and the heart behind it. Let us be reminded of what he says in chapter 3, verse 10. From the same mouth again come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, he says, these things ought not to be this way. James' readers were exhibiting a bitter jealousy, a selfish ambition that is typical of this world, and they were failing to act on what they heard. They were using their tongues to show partiality and to curse men. They were quarreling and fighting with one another. They were being prideful. And so James addresses their double-minded attitude and actions and calls them to repent and humble themselves in the presence of the Lord by submitting their lives to God and drawing near to him because the Lord will receive them. The Lord will forgive them and cleanse them. James is calling them and us to a holy life. He wants us to grow into Christian maturity. He wants us to walk according to heavenly wisdom. That is why he constantly brings it back to the heart of the issue. Again, that's the issue of our hearts, our sinful hearts. And by God's grace and the power of his spirit, which he gifts to us, it is being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And we learn that he gives a greater grace. We also learn that he gives grace to those who are humble. Do you want God's grace in your life? Humble yourselves and you will experience more and more of his grace. James will continue to address our hearts by letting us know that we are do what we are doing when we slander one another, what we need to put off, and what we need to put on. This is all connected to wisdom. Again, wisdom is knowing God's word and applying God's word to our everyday lives to the glory and worship of God. It's directed towards God. What James addresses here is another manifestation of pride and worldliness that characterizes worldly wisdom that he talked about. In James chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, he says, This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And in contrast to that, heavenly wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not only is this a manifestation of worldly wisdom, but what James speaks about here is also characteristic of unbelief, of unbelief. And so we must think rightly about this, and we must turn from it quickly. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. This is the third time that God used through Paul This phrase, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. This is the downward spiral of unbelief and its consequences. And the depraved mind is at the bottom of that list. First, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Then God gave them over to the degrading passions of their heart. And now God gives them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips slanderers, 
slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Among that list that characterizes unbelief and its consequences of a depraved mind are slanderers, people who speak against one another. It's characteristic of the world. It's characteristic of those who exchange the truth of God for a lie, who don't worship the creator, but worship the creature. In these verses, James teaches us that the slanderer places himself as judge above God and his law, rather than submitting to the one lawgiver and judge, so that we would understand that slander is a particularly serious and destructive sin that must immediately be put off. It must be put off. We are those who are judged, not those who are to judge, not those who are to condemn and speak against another and judge them for their actions. That's not our right. So we'll see two things. First, the prohibition, verse 11. And in verse 12, we'll see the recognition. What are we to think? What are we to know? What are we to put on? What are we to practice instead? So first, verse 11, the prohibition. Do not speak against one another, brethren, He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. James gives us the prohibition. Do not speak against one another, brethren. It's a present active imperative command. He gives us another command to obey. This is how you will live a godly life. This is how you will grow in Christ-likeness into spiritual maturity. Do not speak against one another, brethren. Again, this is Christian to Christian slandering. James is emphasizing here that he's talking to Christians. He uses terms that carry the idea of being of the same family, of being brothers and sisters in the family of God, and he repeats it. Brothers, brethren, brothers, brothers. Be reminded that we are the same family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, why are we slandering one another? Why are we condemning one another? Why are we speaking against one another falsely with malicious intent? This command is saying, at all times, do not speak against one another. This is to be the continuous practice of your life. This is to be your lifestyle. It's to be one of not speaking against one another. The command is not hard to understand, but it is hard to practice. And so we need to be instructed and reminded why we should not speak against one another. Yes, it is a sin against God. Yes, it curses men created in the likeness of God. But what else do we need to know about the sin of slander? This word denotes many kinds of harmful speech. It's used of questioning legitimate authority, as when the people of Israel spoke against God and against Moses in Numbers 21, verse 5, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? It's used of slandering someone in secret. In Psalm 101, verse 5, it says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor... Him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. It's used of bringing incorrect accusations. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In First Peter 3.16, Keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. We see that this word was used to describe the persecution of Christians 
by non-Christians. So for Christians to do this is to act, in a sense, like unbelievers, to act like the world that's persecuting the people of God. This is a rebuke, especially because, again, we are family members. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Here, the verb speak against appears three times in this verse, in verse 11, and it's best translated as to slander, to slander. A person may speak against someone else or even criticize them and still speak the truth and not engage in slander. However, the sin being condemned here is the kind of speech that is both inaccurate, false, and damaging to someone's reputation and character, malicious. This is to charge falsely with malicious intent. Do not slander one another with this evil motive in your heart. This is how it's used in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife. This is not what Paul wanted to see, but this is what was evident within the body. Strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. And again, in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. James said in chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord that he may exalt you. Slander is usually connected with what James has already talked about, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy towards those around us that leads to quarrels and conflicts and pride being revealed from our hearts because it's not getting what it wants. It doesn't tear down, it doesn't just tear down others, but it also seeks to promote self. And therefore, it elevates self to the place of judge over others and over the law and over God. Verse 11, notice again, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Do not slander one another. Do not speak against one another because to slander is to judge. And to judge is to set ourselves over the law and to put ourselves in the place of God. Just as slander was used three times in verse 11, we also see the repetition of the word judge in this verse. The idea of judging here is not of rendering an opinion, but rather of condemning. It's stronger than just giving an opinion. And so this word is better translated as condemns. That's why there's a strong prohibition against it. That's why James gives us this command as it relates to our relationship with the body of Christ. Stop doing this. Stop speaking against one another. Stop slandering one another. Stop condemning and judging your brother. And keep in mind that this verse is not talking about not addressing sin or not calling out sin when we see it in our brothers' and sisters' lives. As believers, we have one another to help us see our sins. It's the grace of God that God places in a body so that we have others around us to keep us accountable, to point out when we're not walking the, the narrow path and in obedience to God, to turn us from our, our ways. Acts 20, verse 31, Paul writes, Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to, what did Paul do? Admonish each one with tears. It's done with humility, it's done with love, but there's admonishment, a calling out of their sins and their wrong ways. Again, Paul in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, Christ, admonishing 
every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is a good and godly practice that brings about spiritual maturity and growth in Christ-likeness and a strengthening of our faith. Titus 1.13 says, This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in faith. We are to deal with sin biblically in order to maintain the purity and unity of Christ's church. That is why Paul instructs Titus in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. We are to deal with sin. We are to call people to repent and turn from sin and to obedience to the word of God. Matthew 18, we know Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. This is for the church. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Not publicly, in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is how much Christ loves his church. He loves his church so much that he does not want sin to be a part of it, especially sin in one of his people's lives. He has placed us in this body so that we would call one another out so that we would be strengthened in faith and grow in Christian maturity and live as the people of God in a way that's honoring to him and pleasing to him. We are to address sin and speak the truth in love and be fruit inspectors. But we are not to speak against or slander or judge in condemning way our brothers and sisters in Christ. But this goes even further than that. This phrase speaks against a brother is found. Paul uses it in Romans 14 verses 1 through 4. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Down in verse 10 and thir- through 13, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. This is in regard to non-sin issues, to preferences, to opinions, to matters of Christian liberty and freedom that is tied to our conscience and faith and love and the application of biblical truth and wisdom that's done in thankfulness and worship to God in maintaining the unity within the body. So to speak against your brother or to judge your brother is to speak against the law and to judge the law. But you might be asking, how and why is that the case? Because on matters where where Scripture doesn't explicitly address, you make yourself the judge over your brother and sister 
and pass judgment on their preferences and opinions on things that God has not clearly defined in his word as being sinful. And you're making that as sin, as if God's word isn't sufficient for all of life and godliness. That God's word is missing something and that you need to come in and be the judge over his people for him. That's what happens when you slander another person, when you speak against them, when you condemn them. In a sense, judge them as if you are God himself who has the rightful place as judge over all of our lives. God's word is not missing anything. We don't need to add to God's law for him. We don't need to go around making sure everyone lives their lives exactly like we do on these matters of preferences, on these matters of opinions when they're seeking to obey the Lord in thankfulness from their hearts with worship to him, seeking to maintain the unity of his church. Now, this has come up recently a lot. You may be thinking, I don't do that. I I would never do that. Well, let's think about a few examples. Maybe not now, but beginning of COVID with masks, with vaccines recently, with, with even schooling choices, with drinking. Drinking is not a sin. Alcohol is not a sin. Dancing for some churches. Halloween. Is it wrong for Christians to dress up, go get some candy, and not celebrate the pagan traditions that it came from? Is that possible to do in thankfulness for the Lord, teaching and instructing our children that, hey, this is an ungodly tradition of the world, but you can dress up, you can go get candy and thank God for it. Can that be done without us judging without us condemning them as if they're in sin, adding to God's law, placing ourselves above them and above the law and above God. You see how when we do this, we judge our brothers and then we judge the law and we place ourselves over God. This is an attack on the sufficiency and authority of the word of God and God himself as the one lawgiver and judge. That is not what we are called to do. For those who have different preferences and may apply principles differently than we do, we have to assume the best motives of them. We have to love them. We have to welcome and accept them for for their choices and what they're doing. Again, this is not related to sin. These are on preference issues, on their opinions, how they apply the word of God to areas where God's word doesn't explicitly state that they should do. And if there's a strong need, then go talk to them about it. Why are you doing this? Seek to understand where they're coming from. Seek to be open to their understanding and application of Scripture. Work through it together. But if you're finding it hard to accept them or to love them or not to pass judgment on them or to look down upon them, then we must repent. We must be reminded of Christ and his acceptance of us and his love for us and humble ourselves and submit in obedience to his word. James says in verse 11, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. The slanderer seeks other people out to tell them about it while attributing the worst possible motives in the worst possible way. This is a lack of love. It's a lack of love. And this brings to mind what James has already talked about back in chapter 2. 
And that he hints at here with his word choices of using brother and judge and neighbor. He referenced Leviticus 19, verses 15 through 18, where it says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice that you take off, you put off bearing any grudge. You take off being a slanderer, and you put on and you practice love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Because you're not going to slander and speak against a person if you are loving them. And so love becomes the fulfillment of the law. Whereas the slander becomes a judge of it and not a doer of the law. Chapter 1 verse 25. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If we focus on obeying Christ, which means loving Christ, which means loving his people, we will protect ourselves from slandering other people. Chapter 2, verse 8. If you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Again, we see that true Christianity is characterized by love and obedience to God and his word. The slander elevates personal preference above love. But the law commands that love is above all. Love is above all and that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love God and love neighbor as yourself. And law, how it's used here in verse 11, is in reference to the law governing the Christian life. The law of Christ, the perfect law, the law of liberty. What James has already talked about in chapter 1 verse 25, the royal law. This is the law of Christian love. We're no longer under the condemnation of the law. We've been freed from that to love. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 1, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. When you slander another brother or sister, when you speak against them, you're withholding love from them. You're withholding love. What if God withholds love from you? If God were to judge like you with your standard of measure, how would things turn out for you in the judgment? We fail to keep the law when we slander and stand in judgment over one another. And in failing to keep the law, James says, we also judge it. We judge it. There's a contrast between judging the law with keeping the law, with obeying the law. Therefore, a failure to obey the law implies a denial of the law's authority over us. This is to disregard God's law and act as if you are superior to it, that you're not bound by it, but rather are outside of and are over the law itself, not subject to its authority over you. This is why we must, as a continual life command, as a lifestyle, present active all the time, do not slander one another. Do not slander one another. How can we do this? Put on love. D.A. Carson, a professor, evangelical scholar and author, 
He says this, all of us would be wiser if we would resolve never to put people down except on our prayer list. Pray, love, seek their best interest, just as Christ has done for us. So that's the prohibition. Do not slander one another, brethren. Verse 12, we'll see the recognition. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We just learn what we are to put off, what we are to stop doing, stop slandering, stop speaking against one another. And now this is what we are to put on. This is what we are to practice and know and think and recognize and live in light of. To slander is to judge others. To slander is to judge others and it is to judge the law, but it's also, again, an attack against God because his law is an expression of his holiness and who he is. It reveals his perfections, his purity, his goodness, his righteousness to us. The law reflects the will and character of God. To look down on the law is to look down on God himself. As the lawgiver, he declares his will. And as judge, he upholds and enforces his revealed will. Therefore, he's the only one who is able to save and to destroy. Isaiah 33 verse 22 says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Only God knows the secrets of the heart. Only God sees what is done in secret. And only God knows all things. So only God can judge the hearts of men. James is saying it's foolish to condemn others in the law. Why are you condemning the law, Christian? Why are you condemning the law? The law that God, the perfect lawgiver and judge, has given to reveal his holiness and character and to reveal to you your sinfulness and your inability to keep the law and your need for Christ, your need for a Savior. Why are you condemning that law? Why are you condemning the law that condemned you through which God's grace is demonstrated in your life through Christ and what he has done for you? And why are you condemning your neighbor? Because you are not their judge. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. You are judged, not the judge of others. And if you are the subject of slander, James speaks about not speaking against one another, not slandering one another. What if you're the recipient of that slander? If you're the subject of slander, if people have lied about you or gone after your reputation, we have to look to Jesus. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry about it. He says in Matthew 10, verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather... Fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Since God is the only one who can save and destroy, only God has the right to judge. Also, remember Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. God is the one who justifies. Think about who God is. It's all about looking to Christ knowing who God is. Think about your justification before God based upon faith in the person and work and righteousness of Christ. Nothing can change that. Think about how in Christ you're no longer under the condemnation of the law. 
but that you're freed in Christ to love and live for him. Think about how you've been called out from the world. Think about your union with Christ and how you are now a member of his one body and members one of another and how we are called to serve and love one another and not slander and look down on one another. Recognize this about God. He's the lawgiver. He's the judge. He's the one who has justified us. We don't need to worry about others' false accusations upon us. We are not judged by them. James says, know this, recognize this, live in light of this reality. Then James says, and he ends with, but who are you who judge your neighbor? Drawing our attention to the love that we are to demonstrate to our neighbors and to our fellow family members. Again, pointing out neighbor, brothers, brethren. To love one another, to obey the word of God is to walk according to heavenly wisdom. It's to submit to God and to humble ourselves in his presence. That will protect us from slandering one another and from judging one another and placing ourselves above the law of God and above God himself as judge. Slander also, again, goes after God. This is not just a little sin. It's serious. It's destructive. It goes beyond what we think it does. Slander goes after God because it is to falsely accuse with malicious intent. And we know that the devil is the father of what? Lies. To not speak truth about someone is a lie. But we know that God is the father of truth. And it was this very sin of slander that sent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be crucified upon the cross. They falsely accused him. And they sent him to the cross to be crucified. But that was the plan of God that he might redeem those who were under the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, that we might receive the adoption as sons, brought into the same family, brothers and sisters, with God as our Father. Remember Jesus before his accusers in Mark chapter 14. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him. Think about First Peter two twenty one and 23. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. They are not your judge. God is the judge, and he judges righteously. And you have been justified by faith through the righteousness of Christ. Remember Matthew twelve thirty six, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. We learn from the example of Jesus how to respond to being a recipient of slander, whether from unbelievers or even from believers, and that he will judge every careless word that people speak. What are we to do? Entrust ourselves to God. Know who God is. Know what Christ has done for us. Do not allow others' sins to cause us to sin in return. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to build them up. 
How? By pursuing holiness and wisdom from above. Because that will transform our heart, our mind, our speech, our actions from selfishness, pride, and worldliness to submission to God, humility, and godliness. Chapter 3, verse 17, again, James writes, But the wisdom from above is first pure. If you're demonstrating these deeds of wisdom and gentleness, listen to this list. Will you speak against one another? Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If we are living obedient lives to the commands of God in his word, humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves to him in his presence, turning from our sins when we commit them against him, we will live lives that are pleasing to him and we'll be protected from the pride and worldliness that, that our hearts desire that we must put off and we must remember who the Lord is and what Christ has done and put on love, love for one another. This is what he wants from us. Again, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... It's continuing to sanctify us. It's continuing to help us see what it looks like to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that is pursuing and striving for holiness, that we want to be more like your son. Father, help us to be aware of and recognize our speech, how this sin of slander goes beyond what we even know that it does. It's bad enough to lie about someone, to do behind their back, to do with evil motives and intent, but to think about it in relation to you, that we have now placed ourselves in a position as judge over your law, as the one who has the power and the right to condemn others. We have put ourselves in your place. Father, help us to turn from this sin. Help us to continually obey this command to not speak against our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to love and to serve and to build up and to edify. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.